Learn how healthcare is leveraging automation, patient data liberation, and federal legislation and regulation to repair the industry's knowledge and data supply chain at Wheaties Annual Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. Use the code PODCAST to receive 15% off our already affordable registration rates. Sign up as an individual attendee or take advantage of our group registration, which allows everyone in your company to participate and benefit from this valuable event. Learn more and register at Weedy.org. It's the annual Weedy Summer Forum, July 27th through the 29th on Zoom. Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another best of episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. This week's episode comes courtesy of our ransomware virtual event that we held in late 2020. This one-day summit highlighted the growing concern of ransomware and other cyber attacks facing the healthcare industry, a concern that continues to this day. Our keynote for that event was Jeanette Manfra, Global Director of Security and Compliance at Google Cloud. Prior to Google Cloud, Jeanette was the Assistant Secretary for Cybersecurity and Communications for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So I just wanted to, just for a little bit of context um, for myself, um, thank you so much for the intro and and thanks to uh, the team for putting this on and giving me the opportunity to speak with everybody. So currently I'm the Director for Government Security and Compliance at Google. Um, We're establishing an organization um, under our newly hired CISO, Phil Venables. Um, He's coming over to us from Goldman Sachs. He actually just started uh, yesterday. I have um, been with Google about a year. Prior to that, um, I spent about 20 years in the public sector um, between uh, time in the Army and then working at the Department of Homeland Security, building the organization that's now um, called Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency. And um, in our role there that some of you may be familiar with, um, I uh, my most recent job there was leading the Cybersecurity Directorate but we had um, US CERT, ICS CERT, responsibility for partnering in case of healthcare with Health and Human Services to ensure that um, the health public health sector had um, information from the government as relevant and create partnerships. At Google, um, um, somewhat of a similar role in many ways. Um, what my my primary role is helping to make sure that we're you know build strong partnerships with um, uh, industries and our customers, making sure that um, both you can understand what Google can do if you're a customer of Google, um, but then also broader partnerships with folks like yourselves and. Um, Today, I wanted to talk just a little bit about ransomware in particular, since everyone here is dealing with this, though, of course, there's um, many security issues, but really wanted to focus in on ransomware in particular. So, um, so starting off, we um, when I when I talk to folks, both when I was in the government um, and as well as on the outside, really think about how when an organization is going through a broader digital transformation, how we can help modernize security as a part of that digital transformation. In particular, important for healthcare companies, work a lot with healthcare companies who are turning to the cloud, um, oftentimes for cost efficiencies and um, and other reasons, but really um, 
building off of that cloud capability to help with some of our data security challenges and other evolving threats. So on ransomware, we pulled up a couple of statistics here, um, and um, the, the first two are um, somewhat daunting, um, but just um, that we've got an increase um, in the third quarter of 2020 from daily ransomware attacks with the healthcare sector the most targeted globally among all other industries. Um, data breaches can cost the healthcare sector $429 per patient record, which is 60% more than all the other sectors. A somewhat positive um, statistic is the savings that you can realize on a total cost of a data breach when you full when you deploy fully automated security capabilities versus those with no automation. I'm happy to take any questions about that, but um, my experience, whether you're you're dealing with on-prem or cloud having a heavy focus in your layered defense in um, automating security capabilities is really important to be able to more quickly detect and remediate issues that humans just qu aren't quite fast enough on. So on the next slide, please. So um, this is probably not news to most of you, but um, from, from our perspective and in, in talking to both healthcare customers, as well as um, in looking at broader industry trends, this is where we sort of see three reasons why the attackers are spending more time and effort um, on the healthcare industry. Um, first, healthcare data is very rich in volume and value. Um, and again, on medical identity fraud, it appears to be harder to detect than other types of fraud. So a very rich target environment in terms of the types of data. And, um, and, and I think many large healthcare organizations recognize this. It's also important to know that many small healthcare organizations, their data is just as rich and as valid in, in the, the types and the quantity of it as well. So it's important to make sure that we're bringing those small organizations into this conversation as well. Um, again, healthcare organizations uh, can be slow to update infrastructure uh, for a variety of reasons, including the complexity of you know, having operational technology um, that needs to be continuously run and it can be difficult to take offline to update, um, compliance, um, patient safety, a lot of very complicated things come into play when um, talking about updating your technology. And so healthcare organizations tend to be a little bit slower to update which makes them, again, a, a more uh, a softer target compared to other industries. Um, and then kind of on that line is just, you know, taking a hospital healthcare uh, technology system offline can have a direct impact to patient safety, which unfortunately makes healthcare targets just much more willing to pay a ransom, or at least there's a perception by these attackers that um, a healthcare company um, or organization is going to be much more willing to pay that ransom. So these are the three trends that we, we see that um, tend to make the healthcare industry as a whole a much richer uh, target area for these um, unfortunate ransomware attacks. So on the next couple of slides, and really for the duration, I, I want to give some um, of our advice on how to think about protecting yourselves and importantly, um, not just yourselves, but those that are involved in broader business relationships um, with you. And um, I know uh, uh, for those of you who are not necessarily security professionals, this can, this can get 
overwhelming or even for those of us who are security professionals, this can get rather overwhelming pretty quickly. There's a lot of tools and widgets and all sorts of things that people are talking about that, you know, if you just buy this and deploy this, all your security problems will be solved. Um, that is not the case. You really need to have a layered defense system and in thinking about how you get to that, it, you cannot rely on just one sort of single technology or single defense that is going to prevent really any security attack, but that's inclusive of ransomware as well. However, if you don't have yet, either you're just beginning or you're modernizing um, or you're, you're thinking about making more investments into security um, and you're not ready to sort of take all 10, 12 different layers in place, um, really, my best advice is to start with strong two-factor authentications. And again, this is not just for ransomware. This will help you in a lot of different security um, uh, threat vectors, but focusing on strong um, uh, two-factor authentication, such as a security key. Um, there's a variety, Google has uh, capabilities, a variety of others um, on, uh, you know, and when your um, employees and those that need to have access into your systems, making sure that you have strong um, minimum two-factor authentication. Um, this will help minimize the spread um, of any sort of ransomware attack. It'll also um, help in, um, in your investigation. Um, I think on the, the second part, which I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on the, on the second slide, is, again, if you're doing kind of two just important things, that two-factor, but also what is what is your investigation remediation? Um, making sure that you have that in place and you can, once you have that automation, you can identify that something's happened quickly, you can stop the spread, and then you can um, uh, have a solution in place that will remediate. If we go on to the next slide. There's a few more details here around some more specific steps that I'll go into in a little bit of detail, and then um, we'd love to have any conversation or questions on the balance of time. So uh, again, you could apply these for broader than just ransomware, um, but we've looked at some of the most um, uh, uh, popular attack vectors for ransomware in particular and um, specific techniques that you can employ to be able to, um, to stop those. So um, first, block malware files. Um, second most popular ransomware attack vector is email phishing. Um, they like to use links, attachments, possibly both. Um, they're trying to trick users into taking some sort of action. Um, they can uh, oftentimes, um, they become much more sophisticated. They can come from a known contact asking a user to enter credentials for a bogus purpose. Again, this is why it's important to have um, a with your business relationships, that you have um, shared solutions and you can identify. Um, we've seen um, scenarios where an attacker would um, do some, some good research. They would identify that there was a, a, a trusted business relationship. They would get into that organization's account and, um, and, and fish um, based off of um, what would appear to be a, a trusted relationship, but was actually a hijacked email. Um, 
I'll say within Google Workspace or G Suite, we have um, advanced phishing and malware protection. Um, we also have capabilities that you know touch on a little bit later around um, advanced protection program. Um, these are things that um, not just Google but other um, other email providers um, and uh, can can provide for you. So make sure that you're taking advantage of those advanced phishing, malware, and um, and user protection services for whoever your email provider is. Um, I would also make sure that you're looking at things like VirusTotal um, that can inspect for known ransom, ransomware within your healthcare system. And, and so make sure, you know, really focusing on how are we stopping those malware files from coming in. Um, limiting web attacks. Um, poison DNS caches can give your web browser or another internet application a malicious IP address. So in essence, you know, instead of going where you want to go, you're sent to a fake site. Um, that forged website can then upload ransomware to your PC or to one of your employees' PC. It can grab username, password, account numbers. Um, I think, you know, thinking about um, safe browsing is a pro uh, capability that's offered via Chrome as, as a browser. So look at what are the um, there's, there are different detection and blocking capabilities you can put in to, to limit these web activities, but also thinking about the types of browsers that you're allowing your um, organization to use. Um, from on Google sites, uh, safe browsing uh, currently is protecting about 4 billion devices from a range of deceptive sites and downloads. Um, we automatically updated every six weeks um, so that you have all of the latest security uh, fixes and features. Um, account takeovers, I touched on this a little bit. Um, again, a common, it's used in ransomware, uh, common more security, uh, broader security. Again, really look at your email provider, uh, whether it's our advanced protection program, if you use us or your other provider, look at um, making sure that the people who, um, that, that are particularly high profile individuals, and, and don't always think about those individuals who are the, the most senior people in the company, but those who have um, a high target value. They're involved in procurement decisions or they um, run a big system. Really look at en enrolling them in whatever your email provider's advanced protection capabilities are. Um, from our perspective, we've yet to see anyone um, participating in our program that's been successfully fished. And, um, and I know some of our competitors have um, similar capabilities. Um, patching vulnerabilities, I'm not going to go into this too much. I know this is, again, it goes, it's can be difficult for healthcare companies, um, but but really thinking about um, how you can prioritize patching your software vulnerabilities. This comes in third among the most common ransomware delivery methods, which, you know, exploiting known software vulnerabilities. So getting that unpatched software up to date, again, whether you're on, if you're on cloud, the, you know, for the most part, your cloud provider will be taking that or other software that you have that's critical to your organization, identify those and make sure that you're patching those um, and investing in that. I know these uh, can be difficult um, to, to implement, um, particularly when you're very large federated organization and have very critical um, pieces of software. But um, again, this is a very common delivery method. 
Um, and then again, um, the, the, I'm going to kind of skip the next couple. They're fairly obvious, but you know, when you when you have your cloud service provider, make sure that you um, are clear about how they are handling the administration, construction, maintenance of your services, um, and and really focusing on taking care of a lot of those updates and backups for you. Um, the um, one of the things that we talked a lot about when I was in government and continue to talk about is one of the most important things you can do in addition is, is keeping your files backed up. So as a part of your disaster recovery plan, um, making sure you have incident response plans, disaster recovery plans in place, and making sure that you've got hot backups so that you can um, automatically or manually switch those on. Again, I know that can be complicated in um, uh, operational uh, technology that a lot of hospitals and um, healthcare companies use, but between patching your software vulnerabilities, um, blocking malware, keeping your files backed up, and that two-factor authentication, you can really make a huge difference in your ability to withstand a ransomware event. Um, so, so those are high-level um, sort of themes and advice that I would give you. Um, I would say that I think we have a few more minutes left, um, and I'd love to just take any questions at this point um, or any areas that you'd like to dive further into. I know this is a really uh, I know this is a really challenging environment now for healthcare, and um, I just want to continue to partner with you all in learn how we can uh, help you through this through these challenges and I just grabbed my chat um, so automating threats oh I'm sorry go ahead Jeanette I was just going to you're 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 reading um, the chat function and and that's that's perfect so you can see some of the questions that are being presented so please uh, continue okay um, so from Gina regarding automated threats, is this automatic alerts on events or stopping or sandboxing the behavior? I would say it's both and more. Um, the more automation you can have in place and every, even automating your asset management. And, um, and so that you understand um, the totality of the devices that are connected and um, what software versions you're running, having automated asset management, automated identity management really can provide you with a foundation for strong security tools to be able to take advantage of that um, should there be an incident. Um, and then um, you know, various different, there, there's a lot of different companies around that, that can help you with automating alerts. Um, but, you know, the way that I always thought about it and continue to think about it is, is a lot of organizations, in, including government ones that I worked with, where um, you had you had humans doing a lot of manual work. So a lot of threat data being shared via um, you know XML and variety of other formats, where you then had would have SOC analysts trying to digest that information, put it into various databases, and and so the goal is really to change that operational paradigm. And it, again, if you have a strong foundation of automated asset management and identity management capabilities, and you, you can um, to start to set policies and guardrails that will automatically alert you when something out of 
policy, however you set that, is happening. So a suspicious user um, that either it's anomalous behavior that a normal user with that credential wouldn't have or somebody trying to access um, applications or systems that they shouldn't have. So that's like, th those are the types of things that I would think about when, when automating. Um, you can get very, very complicated on, on the automation, but I would start to make sure you have that foundation around assets identity and then um, and look to um, automate your threat ingest and um, to the extent you can um, automate prevention. Um, is two-factor still entirely... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Gina, another question for you. What are your thoughts on Microsoft Office's 365's ATP for security of files and emails? Um, I cannot comment in depth on, on Microsoft's capabilities. Um, I would definitely direct that to uh, Microsoft. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that in, in general, um, you know, Microsoft and, and Google, um, you know, cloud email providers have very, very strong protections in place. Um, you know, to encourage you to, as you're thinking about the cloud, um, many organizations are a bit um, frightened of it because um, it's it's very different. But in fact, much of the security is being handled by your cloud provider, and it takes both the cost and the operation, both the, the actual um, dollar cost and the operational cost off your plate. But I encourage you to um, talk to Microsoft for more detail. Um, is two-factor still entirely safe after RSA breach? Um, I would say two-factor two for me is more of a concept. I'm not speaking to a specific tool or capability. Um, you know, at, um, at Google, we have um, what's called a zero trust architecture, which means that, you know, we can connect um, from anywhere. Um, but we have those all those policies and detection capabilities in place so that I... I can log on to my computer, but I have my password and I also have a key that uh, it's called a YubiKey key that, that goes into the side of my computer. Um, some people will, will use um, uh, tokens and, and other different ways. So it, it's really more about um, making sure that you have um, both something that you know um, you know, your password and, and then something that can independently also identify that it's you. Um, so I, I think um, I would say it is absolutely safe. Um, and, um, and if you can have more than two factors, even better. <laughs> and so, but, but do start with, do start with that. Um, I would say on two factor two, um, think about the impact to employees. I, I think that, um, I personally, I love what we do with, um, I'm not going to pull it out of my computer because it might knock me out, but I love just where we have a simple um, key that we put onto our, the side of our computer um, and you just, you just touch it every now and then. And, um, and it's very user-friendly, but it raises your level of security. Um, and uh, YubiKeys are, are something that are, are now an open source available um, capability. Um, best way to train employees to follow safe practices. I think um, you can you can surely overdo this. There is definitely um, diminishing returns, but phishing um, uh, training is is very useful, um, and we see a lot of benefits. Now, again, if you're deploying a solution where you've got advanced protections in place. 
Um, and uh, in, in particularly when it comes to, to um, cloud-based um, email offerings, a lot of these things are taken taken care of um, before the user, but most people aren't necessarily there yet. So I would really encourage thinking about phishing um, because people um, can clearly see sort of both the impact of it's actually, you, you can be socially engineered and you can be tricked. Um, I was tricked, I will admit it, during the phishing training. Um, this, you know, people, you're running a million miles a minute, you're like, oh, somebody wants to talk to me about my, um, you know, compensation for the year. Got it, I'll click in. And luckily, I didn't fill anything in. I realized pretty quickly what was going on. But, um, but, but really think about those types of real-life training. Um, and, and phishing is, is a pretty low-cost, easy-to-employ um, again, you can overdo it. Um, you don't want to do it every couple of weeks. Um, the other thing that's important is understanding um, in your as a part of your broader risk management that you have as an organization. One, making sure that cybersecurity is a part of that um, risk management, and it's not just thought of as a technical thing that happens off onto the side, but thinking about how. Um, you know, an exercise of what would we do if ransomware impacted us in getting and, and identifying all of those different key players, which are typically in, you know, the, the lines of business or, you know, in a hospital, they're the ones that are actually delivering those patient services and, and, and going through real life exercises um, or virtual, as the case may be, um, where you practice these sorts of things can really bring it to home for um, a doctor who may think that you know cybersecurity is is something that others are taking care of, and, and start to get people to realize that they have a role to play in um, in safe practices. Also, there's just a ton of really good guidance I know in healthcare specifically that um, I'm sure we can follow up with. Um, uh, what were the three top three common attacks? Um, email phishing and um, software vulnerabilities. The other one was um, malware, and um, so that was that was number two. Um, if a company has limited resources, what are the top two to three things you recommend? Um, before you even talk about resources, I would recommend that in that you think about your try to define what your cyber risk is. Um, so a few years ago, NIST worked with a lot of industry uh, members to develop the NIST cybersecurity framework. I think it's a really excellent tool to get you started to think about not just what am I going to invest technically in or operationally, but how do I think about cyber as a risk to my business or my organization. And, and I think it's really important to get that at the most senior level possible of your organization. It can be very scary for a lot of people. And, um, and there's kind of two reactions. Either they um, sort of say, oh, well, my CISO and my technical team will just take care of it. Um, or I don't think this happens too much anymore, or they just try to ignore it. These days, I don't think most people ignore it. Um, but it's really important um, as to, to bring business leaders, um, the, you know, the practitioners in the organization, the board, if, the, if, if you have one, CEO, all of these different people together to really have a conversation about what your technology risk looks like. And then to be able to further break it down into your 
I typically talk about it in terms of your IT risk. So those are your business services. And when you're talking with hospitals and others, your operational risk. So when you've got these, you know, devices that um, are um, still running Windows XP and are connected, but are critical to, um, to delivering patient diagnoses and other things, we saw this happen where um, some of these devices were taken out in ransomware attacks. So it's really important to then further break down. Don't just think about as, a, as an email or a business application problem, it's important to think about that as well, but also make sure that you're representing that operational risk that um, unique healthcare technology um, presents. Then I think that's when you start your conversation about resources. And, you know, two-factor authentication, um, where it makes sense, updating if you can. And again, I know that's uh, that's a hard investment to make sometimes, particularly when it's operational. Um, but to the extent that you can update that um, those those software um, uh, legacy software vulnerabilities, and um, and I think the third thing would be having a plan, making sure that you have built into disaster recovery plans, incident response plans for ransomware and cybersecurity impacts when you do have that risk actually come to play. Um, so there's those would be the three things that I would I would think about investing in. Um, very small business um, in getting ready to add to a fan or VPN for remote users. Do you recommend adding it to desktops that only access our network on cloud-based servers through username and password? Um, I want to make sure if, Michelle, I'm not sure if I um, fully understand the question. Um, so I think if I understand your question, you're adding, asking, do you also add it to the desktops that are not, um, that are sort of on-site, you're not connecting via a VPN? Um, I would. Um, I, I would recommend that um, if they are connected to a network, there is probably a way for somebody to, um, to, to get in there. Um, and if you're using cloud-based um, capabilities, then the, your provider, again, I can't speak generally, I can speak for us and, and some other of the, of the big ones. Um, generally, they, they should have some of that capabilities built in. So that's a I would encourage you to have that conversation with your cloud provider. And last question, um, elaborate on advanced protection. So advanced protection um, plan for if you're a, a, a G Suite, now we call it workspace, um, um, but if, if you use Gmail, um, and uh, in your business or actually personal, um, you can sign up for some addition, uh, additional capabilities um, to include two-factor authentication um, as well as um, some additional threat detection and others. Um, uh, I, can, um, I can follow up with um, the organizers to send some more detail. I don't recall off the top of my head. I know uh, Microsoft has a similar capability, but, um, but that, that would be what I would um, uh, direct you to is on our on, on our website, an advanced protection plan. You can go in there. You can sign up both as an individual user if you use Gmail at home, and also as an enterprise um, if you're using that through your business. Jeanette, again, um, our deep appreciation for the points that you raised today, the presentation for joining us and. Uh, again, thank you, thank you for um, being part of our program. 
This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you for joining us, and be safe.